You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Ahmed Munawar, founder and chief marketing officer at Boutique Growth, where we help professional services firms build actionable marketing plans so they can generate more leads and win more business. I've got Jane Portman on the show today. Jane is a user experience consultant who helps software companies design profitable web apps. Jane's story is really inspiring. You know, she started out in her early days as a freelancer looking for work on Odesk, which is now Upwork and eventually decided that she wanted to level up and really start going after some bigger ticket clients. So she wrote a book, she packaged a productized consulting offering, and the rest is history, so to speak. Today, Jane is a household name in the user experience world. And I know that because she's so popular that even I knew about her, and I'm not a software company, and I know next to nothing about user experience. That's how well-known she is. Few things I want you to pay attention to in this interview. First is how Jane found clients in the early days when she was trying to get out of Odesk and Upwork and trying to level up her consulting business. Second is how the writing of books fits into her product and services mix. And third is how she launched her first productized consulting offer. That seems to be really where things took off for Jane. So I want you to pay attention to that really closely. You can grab the show notes for this episode at forecast.fm slash UI breakfast. That's forecast.fm slash UI breakfast. Before I let you go, if you haven't yet joined us inside our free course on lead generation for professional services firms, you're going to want to check that out. Inside the course, I will show you a proven step-by-step process to open up the floodgates to new business. You can get immediate access to the course at no charge at 5leadgen.com. You can spell out five or use the number. Either one works. That's 5leadgen.com. Here's Jane. Hey, Jane, thank you so much for joining me here on the show. Thanks, Akma, for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So give us the quick backstory. You know, what were you doing before UI Breakfast? How did you get to the point where you are today? I started UI Breakfast in 2012, or actually in the beginning of 2013. And before I became a solo consultant, which happened in 2012, I was a creative director of a large agency back in Russia. So that was after, let's say, six or seven years of design experience. That means I had a skill, but I really knew nothing about the ecosystem. And when my first son was born, I suddenly realized that I don't want to go back to the agency turmoil. And I just want to do my best work. I spent a year on Odesk, which is now Upwork. (laughs) Really, really low rates, not the perfect clients, but it gave me an idea how things work. Then a lot of inspirational reading came along and uh, all the business stuff, and I decided to kind of kickstart the authority building. And uh, in 2013, I started this whole journey, and it all started with a little book. So tell me a little bit about Odesk. That's not something I hear very often, so I'm curious. (laughs) What kind of work were you doing there? I was doing the same thing. I was doing at that time I was doing mobile UI UX. So I was designing iPhone applications for different kind of startups who were tight on budgets so they would go there and look for talent. And actually there are good people on Odesk who are kind of in the transition phase like I was. So it makes sense to search people there if you're just starting out and really have no money because there is no other option really. But what's typical for if you're looking for a business there? It's not the best place because the quality of clients is pretty low 
of course, they're nice people, but mostly they're very, very tight in budget, which makes it difficult. And also, it's really hard to... Mm, to kind of dig your way through other people. It's very easy to shine, but you're kind of lost <laughs> among other people who are just, you know, having record low wages and really, really sad picture if you think about it. Right, right. So then you read a few books and you were inspired to kind of go beyond Odesk and start something else. What did you read and, and what did that lead to? I would say that the most inspiring was the article by Patrick McKenzie, and I think it's still up and I link to it everywhere. <laughs> It was called, I don't exactly remember the name, but something like how I went from a $100 per hour developer to $5,000 per week consultant or something of that kind. And it outlined how much the value and the business value matters when you present your work to the client. From that on, I think the second place belongs to Nathan Berry and his awesome book, Authority, which outlines the process of making a book and how much it can benefit you, you know, as an authority in the field. And Nathan is such a great man. He really made it <laughs> transparent from the very first step to the publication to promotion, how to do that. So it was like, yeah, I'm going to make it. I'm going to do this. And uh, I kind of did it. I was pregnant with my second son and I had a natural deadline of shipping the book before he was born. <laughs> so um, it was an interesting journey, and I really didn't promote it that much as Nathan recommended. But yeah, I think these two pieces are the most life-changing. So you wrote the book, was that while you were still doing work on Upwork or Odesk? No, I think there was a break. I said, no more clients for Upwork. Uh, what I'm going to have is like clients as an independent consultant, not less than $95 an hour. And I wrote the book, and ever since, I never took a single client on Upwork. So tell me about the book. What was it about? How did you settle on that topic? All right. The book was called Mastering App Presentation. And I really was not very wise about picking the book, picking the audience and everything. So these days, I know pretty much a lot about product strategy. And I know that you should be building products for a certain audience, they should be solving a certain pain, et cetera, et cetera. Those days I thought, hmm, I know a lot about presenting my applications. I should tell people about it. Like I can write 15 chapters about it. <laughs> so I took up a, a thousand words a day challenge and wrote the body of the book pretty smooth. So it wasn't really a big deal. But if I did it today, I mean, it really wouldn't do the same thing once again. But it was a nice learning experience. Sure. And how did you promote the book when it was done? I think this was the hardest part because it's really when you're based in the United States, you kind of have those friends and family, at least some people who know you. But when you're, you know, a little girl in the middle of nowhere in Russia, you seriously know like a couple people who are, you know, previously your clients on Odesk. And that's about it. I think the most helpful was a community by Justin Jackson. I think he created a few ones over the few years. But back then, that was where I got my first, let's say, five or 10 subscribers to my email list. And I launched the book to an email list of 50 people, which is an amazing result. <laughs> I think the best promotion came afterwards when I suddenly got approved on Mighty Deals, which is a deal site where you really hike down the price of the book, but get massive exposure. So I think the first day it got like 100 people signing up on my email list. And I was absolutely thrilled. It was like a holiday, like Christmas or something. <laughs> 
<laughs> so tell me a little bit more about kind of the authority building journey. You started with this book and I know now you're building your consulting pipeline alongside this. What were the next steps for you in terms of building that authority as a UI expert, as somebody that's really worthy of a higher price tag? I was doing a lot of things at once, and I think it was a, a sequence of a lot of hard work and some accidental lucky events that took me to the place where I'm today. Really takes uh, regular blogging. It really takes to meet friends, to meet new people and to make friends. So you kind of expand your circle, not with a specific goal in mind, but in general to know more people go to conferences. The next step would be to try to land any kind of speaking gigs at conferences. And the way you do that, you just pitch yourself. For those who don't know, it's really the only way to get started. Because if you haven't been on stage before, no one is going to just, you know, mine your wonderful profile in the Internet and invite you. That's not going to happen. <laughs> Most likely, just pick a nice niche small event in your industry and try to pitch yourself as a speaker. Maybe keynote, maybe an attendee talk or something like that. So the speaking thing kind of ramped up. The productized consulting topic was very lucky for me because in 2014, it was just starting out and there were a lot of articles dedicated to it. And uh, I was lucky enough to make an offering, which was called Correlation. It was monthly creative direction for software companies. It was a bit of design work done every month and some you know, strategic guidance packed into the same thing in a consultation. It was pretty expensive for my state of things back then. I think it was 11 or later $1,300 per month, which was quite a nice amount of money because I could keep up with a few clients per month, which made into a nice revenue. And that's recurring. Recurring is amazing. So I got some press coverage because of that. And people were trickling in and they were signing up for my lead magnets, which are so important. I'm probably going to talk about this later today. So because of all these things, people were trickling in and the list was slowly growing. And probably the next big thing happened in 2015, when I had a big collaboration with Envision, I wrote a book for them. It was my second book. It was called Fundamental UI Design. And they decided to uh, publish as a free course instead of a free book, just because free courses have better you know, readership ability rather than a PDF that's stacked away. And that brought me a lot of subscribers. And Vision are amazing because they promote their content like crazy. And I also wrote a few articles for them afterwards. I think that was the second big wave of publicity that really made a difference to my mailing list. And ever since, it's just been growing slowly and slowly. And uh, you have to kind of feed your list with good content. <laughs> Sure. No, of course. So let's jump a little bit back to the launch of Correlation. So Correlation was your first kind of productized consulting offer. And before that, I assume you were doing kind of the typical freelance thing. Is that right? Right, right. Before that, I was just doing client gigs uh, and I was billing by the hour back then. So I was charging $95 an hour at that point. So I'm curious to hear more about how you settled on Correlation in terms of why that service how did you pick the target audience? Were you confident going into that, that this was going to be a big win, or were you not sure? How did that work? So first of all, the friction towards setting up uh, such thing is really low. All you have to do 
is to set up to write a long form sales copy page and put it up and uh, start pointing your clients there instead of just telling me I bill by the hour. That's about it. So I read a wonderful article again by Patrick McKenzie, who did a teardown of Nick DeSabato's, I think he's our common friend, Nick DeSabato's sales page. I think Nick was among the first people who did that. And I was like, wonderful. I can kind of reverse engineer that into my field. And something clicked that I really would love to do UI design, but what comes with it is actual direction because founders sometimes are kind of clueless about what to build. And it's about 50% of success is not just making something good for them, but figuring out what exactly to build. So that kind of leads into creative direction. And also my previous position as a creative director kind of gave me reassurance that I can call myself such a person. It's funny, Patrick McKenzie keeps coming up in conversations. When I talked <laughs> talk to Nick and we, and we had this conversation around how he launched Draft Revise and how he got it going and off the ground, he said, I launched it, Patrick McKenzie blogged about it, and that's it. <laughs> and it just took off. That was his answer. <laughs> exactly. I think in my case, I launched Correlation and then Brennan Dunn blogged about it. That's about the uh, same formula. It's smaller scale, but it worked kind of similar to me. <laughs> and did you have a relationship with Brennan Dunn beforehand? I think, let me see. We met at a conference, but before we met at a conference, I bought his book. And I bought a premium package, which came with a personal consultation. Mm. So we kind of talked first. Then we met at MicroConf in Vegas, 2014. And then when I launched the thing, he was like, yeah, I know, Jane. Uh, let's do it. This is going to be great for PlanScope. Uh, it was his product back then. Yeah. So by then you were kind of, I don't know about a household name, but you were definitely a known name in the industry. You weren't a stranger. You'd done the hard work in the previous years about going to conferences, speaking, you know, buying products, interacting with influencers. You'd done all that before Correlation. Well, I think Correlation were actually the trigger to what you said. Yeah, the skills were there, but definitely the kind of fame thing started to trickle in from there. I had another super interesting coincidence in my story. Uh, back then in Odesk days, I worked for an agency in Australia, and they did something for Joanna Weeb's team. It was a little widget for their uh, survey product, and I was the one who designed it. Yeah. And at the same conference at MicroConf in Vegas 2014, I met Joanna and said, Hi, Joanna, it's actually me, Jane, who got my hands on your product. And she was like, Wow. <laughs> and that's how we made friends. It was a super interesting coincidence. She was my role model at the same time for her copywriting lessons. Yeah, no, Joanna's, Joanna's a master <laughs> copywriter. She's excellent. So yeah. tell me a little bit about how the productized consulting offering had kind of evolved then from correlation into what you have today. That's right. I did a lot of correlation engagements. They were mostly amazing people who understood the value of design and the design work. And I was super thrilled. But what happened in the spring of 2015 is that I burned out uh, because I took up a number of recurring offerings and um, a wonderful client project and that book by Envision that I mentioned. So there was all that happened in a couple of months and I was really exhausted afterwards. So after that, I I just said, no more client work. I'm tired. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> and um, I had an 
a break about maybe half a year or something where I really didn't take up any client work. I set out to work with products and that's when I started on the UI audit book. So in that intermission, I kind of realized that I'm I'm going to be very, very careful about my commitments. I know, you know, commitments and recurring revenue, they are amazing and I highly recommend them to anyone. But at some point, you really start to value your freedom. And at that point, one-off engagements are better than recurring ones because you don't owe anything to anyone upon the completion of the project. So I kind of have grown into valuing that feeling. And when I launched the book, I synchronously launched a consulting package, which was called the Custom UI Audit, which is essentially a large bit of consulting work done upon a web application. It also comes with a premium package where actual design work is done. And it's been super popular ever since over the last couple of years. I've been mostly selling that to new clients. And what's kind of the mix right now in your business between products and consulting? You're still doing both? I'm still doing both. <laughs> and I really enjoy it. I still have the majority of my revenue coming in from consulting because it's really the most transparent and fast way of making money. Unfortunately, because product money is not that fast. Last year, I made quite a lot of money with the UI audit book, with the launch, with the pre-orders, and after this, we had a lot of promotion. So I think as of today, it sums up over, I think, $13,000 of gross revenue per year, which is a nice chunk of my revenue. <laughs> but these days, I'm piping a lot of resources into my new SaaS product, which is called Tiny Reminder. And for SaaS products, the growth curve, it's even more, you know, steep and slow and full of friction. And it's a continuous learning experience. It does not bring a lot of money yet. And I am spending a lot of money there. <laughs> so it's a wonderful combination of making money with consulting and spending some of it uh, with my product. Right. But those are two different monsters, though, aren't they? Because the UI audit book, that generates revenue but it also, I would assume, generates interest for your consulting services. It definitely does serve as a great authority point, but I would say that not always, and mostly not, these audiences intersect. I mean, the audience is still the same, uh, but the UI audit is supposed to be a self-help guide, and uh, the custom audit and everything that goes below, beyond that, is really uh, way more expensive. So usually people who hire me, they don't have that much time to read books. They just come to me and say that, Jane, you know better. Please come up, pick up the low-hanging fruit. Let's do some consulting together. And that's how it happens with the custom audits. If you had to wager a bet, what percentage of your consulting clients would you say had bought the book before they hired you? Whether they read it or not is a different story, but how many of them actually <laughs> buy the book first? Actually, I don't, I don't have those stats. I think not much. Probably the large part of my consulting clients come from personal relationships and from speaking gigs, because that's where I can meet people in person. That still works better than just writing books, even though, I mean, it works great in combination. <laughs> right. But the book, I guess, also helps you kind of build that influence sphere, right? It gets you known in multiple circles, which obviously helps, doesn't it? Absolutely. And it also, I mean, the content of the book is a platform for my own work, which is quite amazing if you think about it. So it provides a platform for my consulting work while consulting work 
feeds the source of uh, you know material for the book and i'm really proud of that combination and planning to relaunch the book this year with a little bit of more content Okay, excellent. So you've got the UI audit book, you've got the uh, Tiny Reminders SaaS product. Any other products on the go right now? I think that should be enough <laughs> on the plate. Yeah, these are the big ones. Generally speaking, in terms of my lifestyle, I would really love to get significant part of my you know, life revenue from Tiny Reminder. And my goal for the end of the year is $5,000 monthly recurring revenue, but that's definitely something to work towards. That's not yet possible. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think it's a recurring theme that I hear over and over again from these conversations and just talking to consultants is in the beginning, you know, in the large part of the early journey of building a consulting practice, it's all about, hey, you know, recurring revenue is the holy grail, right? Everybody wants monthly retainers. Everybody wants to be that staple, trusted advisor with their client. They want to be indispensable. And after a while, it just gets really exhausting, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's right. So I'm not the only one, really, because my husband told me, oh, my goodness, Jane, you're <laughs> it's not wise to give up such amazing, you know, hefty recurring revenue. Yeah. And I mean, products, there's there's ways to make products a little bit more stable as well. I'm sure you're, you're doing a lot of that. But yeah, I think the point being that, you know, there's you don't have to show up every single week. You don't have to show up every single month in a product driven business. You end up doing a ton of work up front. Right? So you're writing the book and you're building the SaaS product, which you're right in, in the middle of right now. And the hope is that, that that translates into some stable income cash flows in the future. But it's, you know, if you do it and you do it right and you hit it out of the park, then it can be a pretty incredible thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Also, if, I mean, for client working, you can also kind of mitigate those negative effects of deadlines and everything. Because for me, I have a family, I have two little kids and they get sick different kind of events happen. We travel, we have unexpected vacations. So what I swear by is no fixed deadlines, even with client work. So hardly ever you will find me saying like, I will ship this tomorrow. Because really I would say I will ship that within the next week or so or something like that. And most clients, they value your work and they would not worry about extra day or two if you send over amazing results because younger freelancers and I used to be like that myself they often they often swear by deadlines and they say like do that ship that or die and <laughs> that brings so much stress into everyday life and i suppose the very nature of a productized consulting model also makes it a little bit easier to manage these things right if you're just kind of a freelancer for hire you're billing by the hour then clients feel like they control your time and they can tell you when to do things and how to do things. But in a productized model where you've got a set package, it's very clear what you're delivering, then I suppose you have a little bit more flexibility in how and when you deliver those items. So, so true. Absolutely. It, it comes with a lot of magical perks. You know, suddenly you're the one in control. It's still you doing the work, but you're the one who is in control of the process. You define the scope. And uh, on the same page, you have more opportunities to provide value because you have a whole sales page of text to explain what exactly you're doing right there. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I would be remiss to have you on the show here and not talk about something related to UI. (laughs) All right, let's do it. (laughs) Let's talk about the UI that really should be the front and center focus of any consultant, any professional services firm, and that is your website. Your website I love, and I guess that shouldn't come as a surprise. You're a UI expert, and, <laughs> and your website is a UI dream. 
Give us some tips on kind of website UI and functionality and user experience. Well, thank you first for the kind words. They mean a lot to me. <laughs> right. Consulting website is much more than just a portfolio page. And that needs to be explained, you know, on day one of everyone who begins to do client work independently, especially designers. I mean, if you're a copywriter, you probably kind of know. But if you're a designer, you think that you might just pull off the thing if you publish a few pretty pictures, but it's not like that. Consulting websites serves a whole bunch of different functions. It should tell about yourself. It should tell what exactly you're doing right now, whether you're accepting client work. It should also provide some value to your listener, to your user. And it should also serve a few other feature, you know, a few other features that people don't think about. You should be able to sell something without any kind of hands-on. It should be maybe a little phone call or consultation or something. So you can actually sell your services. And whoever you don't sell to, you should be able to capture. Those are very important. And I very often see people overlooking these two things. It should be your platform should have some content as a proof of credibility. And you should be able to do those things in order to engage people. That's interesting. So you're saying if someone lands on your website, they should be able to do one of two things. Either buy something or drop their email address and the buy something isn't necessarily your big grand service offering. It could be something as simple as, as a phone call, as a conversation. And I saw on your website, I believe you charge, forget the price, but there was a, a quote for, for a one-hour consultation, wasn't there? That's right. It costs uh, a little bit under $300. And it's a very easy sell. You don't have to you know, invest anything. You don't even have to put together a checklist or whatever it can be. It, it doesn't have any deliverable besides your call. As opposed to an option of just offering the first consultation for free, I think it serves as a great proof of you know, confidence that you are confident charging for just advice. Did you ever do any free consultations earlier on? I've never had it as a leak magnet, but if I have someone clearly interested in a bigger thing, like $3,000 audit, I would do a first call for free without any upfront payment, of course. But most likely, this call is going to be fruitful. So it's not like a free call with someone. And of course, I do a lot of free calls with people just to meet them or, you know, discuss something, maybe help them with their career. But it's not really a lot of them, I should say. Yeah. But when it comes down to actually offering value, doing consulting, there's you have a really clearly structured offering there. If I want to get you on the phone for an hour and get you to consult for me, then here's the price tag. That's true. So true. Okay, so come to your website and I can either buy something or give my email address. In terms of content, what are some tips? I know you have a lot of content, you're, you're a content marketing aficionado. What are some tips <laughs> you have on creating content that, that really you know, grabs people and makes them want to engage? Great. I think thing number one you should do is to define the audience who you're going to be working with. And everyone is facing a dilemma because you can be serving people like yourself who are professionals in the industry, or you can be serving people like your clients who are you know, newbies in the industry who need you know self-help start guides or stuff like that. If you can't really decide, at least for each article you put out, decide who it's for. <laughs> I mean, it's that easy because it's going to bring you clarity while you write. It's going to bring you an insight what to tell them. The things that you put out should be useful 
And um, when you're choosing a level of, you know, abstractness, it can be, it can range from strategic top level advice towards hands-on everyday things. And in that range, if you can lean towards hands-on everyday things, such kind of content is the hardest to produce because then you need detailed instructions, you need illustrations, you need uh, videos, stuff like that. But that's what people value most. These days, the blog sphere is really saturated and there is a ton of, you know, general articles, but you can really stand out if you pick a little niche and provide everyday advice on it. If you were starting your the blog side of your consulting website today, would you write articles or would you jump into something like podcasting or video? It really depends. I think number one advice is that you should enjoy the format. I like both. I don't like video because it not only demands my full attention, but it demands a perfect background and the perfect looks of myself. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm just not comfortable doing that on a regular basis. I mean, I love webinars and such, but not on a regular basis. And between podcasts and writing, really just pick what you like most. The podcast has been great for me because I enjoy, I enjoy, I greatly enjoy conversations. And I think the ROI is much better because for about, Two hours of work, I can get an amazing episode out. One is uh, recording the conversation and another one is uh, getting it up with the show notes and everything. Not to mention that I do delegate audio editing. So that's a little bit extra, but it's not expensive to delegate. And if I were to start from day one, I would probably start with a good old blog. I have a series of articles. It's called the UI Practicum where I take small real-life situations from UI UX projects and break them down with uh, actionable takeaways. I think if I had more time right now, I would just go and produce more of these. And these were super popular last year. Okay, interesting. I want to hear a little bit more about your podcast, and this will be our, our last topic of conversation for today. What was your strategy going into the podcast? I know it's an interview-based show. What was kind of the business case for it, and how has that been panning out? I started the show in the fall of 2014 with no use case in mind. I was just going to get comfortable with the media. First, I launched a couple episodes and buried it for a year. Then I did a few seasons with um, co-hosts. So I would invite someone on board for, let's say, four to six episodes and uh, cover a range of topics. But what I gradually evolved into is one guest per episode, a specific topic per episode, which has been great, and a little blitz questionnaire that I use to kickstart the conversation. Because it literally allows me to jump in cold into any recording. And then after we're done with that, everyone is kind of warm up and going. <laughs> and we can discuss the main topic of the call. So right. that's the format I'm working right now. And right now, it does have a very specific goal. I have an audience that I serve. It collects more than 2,000 downloads for each episode in the first week, which is pretty much not very little, really. I enjoy the numbers. And this year, I've also started to monetize it, and I get pretty nice revenue from sponsors. So it has turned into a very successful business project over years. Excellent. Jane, listen, it's been a real, real pleasure having this conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm thrilled to share. I hope uh, our listeners learned something from this interview. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think they learned a ton. Listen, if they want to look you up online, where can they find you? Everything I do is at uibreakfast.com. 
And if you want to check out the UI audit book, I prepared a special discount. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you can head over to uibreakfast.com slash audit and use the promo code forecast 39 to get 39% off any book package. And you can also find me on Twitter at your breakfast. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jane. Appreciate it. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you, Ahmed. Hey, it's Ahmed here again with a quick recap to the conversation. Here's what I love about Jane's story. She is, by her own admission, from the middle of nowhere, right? She's from somewhere near Moscow. And when she started out, she had no connections, no relationships in the industry, no real network to speak of. And over the years, you know, kind of drip by drip, step by step, she's really made a name for herself. And now, like I said, she's a household name in the user experience world. And if you can get that kind of name recognition for yourself and your industry, it can be a real game changer. Because when people think about UX consultants now, if they understand the space and they're familiar with the players, Jane Portman's one of the first names that comes to mind. If you can get that kind of instant recognition in your niche and your space, you're going to go places. So that's what I took away from this episode. And I hope that you took a lot away as well. You can grab the show notes at forecast.fm slash UI breakfast. Before I let you go, if you haven't yet subscribed to Forecast on iTunes, do us both a favor. Head over to iTunes. The easy link is forecast.fm slash iTunes. Open up the show, hit subscribe. And while you're there, do me a favor. Leave us a rating and a review because it helps more people discover the show. And I would be forever grateful. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.